Hi there, it's Charles from the future. I attempted to explain the Mon Mothma financial transaction in the episode, and I don't really think I did an adequate job of doing it, so I'm gonna try again. It's a little complicated, as evidenced by the number of takes I've had to do of this insert, which is a lot. This is based on my experience in the financial world, and some of the wording that the writers use is a little bit weird, but I am gonna do my best to kind of explain this. So the problem that Mon has is that she needs to make a 400,000 credit withdrawal to give to the rebellion. And if she makes that withdrawal just directly, it's either not going to be allowed by her bank through the empire through her bank, or it's going to be flagged as extremely suspicious. If you've ever gone to Target and you bought more things than you your bank thought you should have, and they locked your debit card and you had to call them to have them unlock the debit card because you spent more money than your bank thought you normally did, it's essentially the same principle. So in order to make this withdrawal a lot more cleanly, Mon almost kind of has to do a reverse money laundering thing. If you've seen Breaking Bad, you know that the purpose of money laundering is to take quote unquote dirty money and deposit it in a clean way so it looks like it comes from a clean source. Mon's solution is to basically do that in reverse. She's gonna withdraw the funds, but it's gonna be for this charitable foundation so it looks like the money is going to the charity. So what they've done is that Tay and Mon have set up this charity, She's withdrawn the 400,000 credits. She's deposited it into the charity. And then what they did was on the charity side of things, they took the money back out of the account and papered over the withdrawal in the account ledgers. So now according to the books, there's 400,000 more credits than there actually is sitting in the charity accounts. And the problem is this discrepancy between the ledger and what's actually sitting in the charity's accounts. And if they get audited, which Tay and Mon are both concerned they're going to do, the Empire is going to realize that there is 400,000 credits missing from these accounts. And that's the point where we're going to start asking questions. The solution then is the easiest one, just deposit cash into the accounts to make up the difference and so if anybody goes looking and scans the accounts and compares them to the ledgers, they won't know that any of that money went missing. That is as best as I can explain the situation. We will see how it all plays out in the series, but that's my best shot. Hope y'all are enjoying the episode. Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and I I had a joke and completely forgot it in the okay. intervening time. Well, there you go. I was That's so stunned joke. by the majesty of this episode that I, I completely forgot this really good joke I had last night that I was like, oh, you need to do that as the intro for the podcast. Don't even remember what it was. Although I will say, as a, a prelude to this week's episode, Bradley, is this the first first episode that you've gotten to watch like when it drops yeah because well so for those of you who don't know i usually have like an eight to eight kind of day um at the office here and i <laughs> didn't realize um halfway through being in this state of hawaii that the drop for the episode of Andor is on a Tuesday here, not a Wednesday. And it's at like eight o'clock at night. So, or like at nine o'clock or 10 or whatever. And so- I think it's nine. Nine o'clock. Yeah, because it's only three hours after you. So at midnight in LA, which is when it normally drops on Wednesday, it's 
or California. It literally, for me, it's like nine o'clock at night, like a just a regular primetime TV show drop. And it's really funny because it's about the time I'm off work. And so I just get back to my hotel room and I'm like, oh shit, I can watch Andor <laughs> like right just away. Just pop it on. and Just pop it right on. on. It's great. Well, I know too that you had, uh, you messaged me immediately after watching it about how good it was like i was going to crawl into bed because it's one o'clock in the morning and here's bradley <laughs> texting me like that was such a good episode spoilers bradley thought it was a good episode right bradley text texting me like oh that's such a good episode i'm like oh shit yeah he does get to watch it early yeah we're kind of on the same watch schedule now technically so it's really weird technically we're at least very yeah we are because we both can watch it at the same time for just a few more weeks so we don't have a, a thing Charles fucked up necessarily, but we do have a massive glaring thing that Charles overlooked in the last episode okay. that I do feel, I would feel remiss if I did not bring it up. So let me see if I can, actually, let me open up our, our messages because I, I want you to take a look at a photo and I want you to tell me if the aesthetic of the photo looks familiar to you. So for, for those of you, you know, obviously no one but Bradley is opening up his messages right now to look at the photo. It is a completely white room and there is a prisoner in all white on the floor with guards in black. Does that look familiar to you, Bradley? Okay, let's see. I'm looking at some black figures poking a person in all white. Yeah, that looks all sterile, pretty sterile, pretty uh, empty. Do, does it look a lot like the aesthetics of this particular prison to you? Pretty much identical. If you, I mean, do you want to know what yeah. that that's from? Uh, yeah. What is this? That is from a movie called THX One One Three Eight. If this that sounds movie familiar. sounds familiar. It's because that movie was directed by George Lucas. Ah, It was okay. written and directed by George Lucas. It was one of his first films. Yeah, they borrowed, they borrowed the THX 1138 aesthetic, and I didn't mention it at all. So nice. I, I feel like I was obligated to mention that. Other than that, I don't think we had any major fuck-ups. Okay, that's not bad. We're doing pretty well this show. Yeah, well, I think because with this show, there's not too many, um, I don't know, random ass Easter eggs where they're like, that's obviously Palpatine in the background. That's and he's... true. <laughs> I rarely have to co co correct myself where I'm like, oh, you know, I I said the Zygeria arc of Clone Wars, but what I really meant was the Umbara arc. There's been none of that this show we're just talking about fascism prison labor complex and you know, a lot of other stuff that's not random a lot, of, a lot of things yeah they did have some news and they did say that one of the writers they're bringing some of the writers back bo willem and dan gilroy are both coming back for season two but they're also bringing in a writer i forgot to write down the name but they brought him in because he's such a big star wars fan they're bringing him to write episodes later on in the season closer to Rogue One. So it's going to be exciting and fun. I need I need season two of this show. It begins filming in like two weeks. Oh, wow. Okay, that's quick. Oh, yeah. Well, they knew they were getting a second season. That's true. 
You know what else has been on fire uh, these episodes? It's it's Mon Mothma's outfit where she was wearing her um, her home outfit today, which is slightly more dressed down, but still absolutely fabulous. When I walk around the house, I walk around in sweatpants and a ripped t-shirt that's like open overused because I refuse to throw anything out until I can't use it anymore. And here's Mon walking around her house just as elegant and classy as can be, which is, mm, I love it. I love it. I know she came back to the house from somewhere else, but still, like, even walking around the house, the woman is absolutely flawless in just everything about her aesthetic, and I love it. <laughs> I love how you've just resigned yourself to this on a weekly basis. I think it's funny, and I'm glad I thought of it, because I think it's really... (laughs) I'm also glad you thought of it. It's hilarious. It also means I get to, like, make a mental note of the outfit so I can do it now, and I don't have to do it later in the episode. All right, you want to go ahead and take us into the show? Absolutely. So this week, we're going to be talking about... Andor episode nine titled Nobody's Listening. Under intense scrutiny while imprisoned, Cassian makes allies plan an impossible escape. Charles, what's one thing you liked about the episode and one thing you did not? Oh, the acting. Oh, the the, the thing I liked was the fucking acting. Like, holy shit. I remember there was a assignment in college. Uh, and spoilers, we will talk about my college experience at one point in this episode because I'm about to dish some tea. But there was a class in college where we had to like bring in a scene for an acting class that we would then analyze the choices. Uh, and at the time, I picked a scene from the first season of Game of Thrones. I picked one of the scenes where Cersei and Robert are talking to each other. But... Honestly, I would I would have picked a scene from this episode. The acting in this episode is so fucking good, especially Andy Serkis. My God, that man. Um, one thing I I didn't like. I'm not gonna say this is a thing that I I didn't like. I I mean, I'm just gonna keep refer- reverting back to the same thing. These episodes are really uncomfortable to watch, and they're deliberately uncomfortable to watch. And I love that they're uncomfortable to watch. But paired up with the fact that they're three episode arcs, watching it week to week, it it ends on really of a downer. I walked away from this episode not feeling particularly great, and I loved the episode. I thought it was fantastic. I have nothing but nice things. Well, I have mostly nice things to say about the episode, but I still walked away from from it feeling really, really down because we're two thirds of the way through an incredibly dark arc of the series and we're not going to get our catharsis until next week. And on the one hand, I get that it's nice to wait a week for catharsis, but I also don't really like walking away from an episode feeling really blah and having to kind of work my feelings out in Discord chats before I'm to a point where I'm like, okay, yeah, that episode was really good and doing some really cool things. Uh, Even my boyfriend, who actually watched with me this week, uh, his schedules align. Uh, Even he had certain scenes, and there's one in particular that he was just like, I am really uncomfortable watching this. It's really good, but I'm really uncomfortable watching this play out. Uh, So I I still kind of wish they had had released them in batches, but I, I also see what they're doing. So I can't even say it's the thing I disliked. It's just a thing that comes as a consequence of how they've chosen to write and release this show. What 
what about you, Bradley? One thing you liked and one thing you did not. So I really liked this episode. I thought it was well balanced. I think that was kind of the thing that I liked the most was that there, to me, I felt like every character had a chance to shine this episode, minus Luthen, obviously, because he wasn't here. Yeah, um, he, he and Clay aren't here. I just he, realized yeah, that. Yeah, they, no they're center. not here either that's uh, right or marva but the characters who were here yes yeah i'll get right. a chance to shine i'll get a chance to shine in their respective scenes um i would argue that there's about three different plots going on or mm, four-ish but what's nice is you have the deidre scenes are really fucking good and then you have the mon mothma scenes are really fucking good and the cassian scenes are really good and that's because they both have are they all of them kind of have like the respective characters that make it really good the supporting characters that are making each one even better i really 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 like that my other thing i kind of really just love i just loved how much tension there was in this episode because it's very clearly building up to the finale of this arc and i think that's one thing that makes this episode really strong i'd be really i'm really interested to watch this later on when all three episodes are out and then watching it as a whole like watching each arc like kind of collectively because we haven't been able to do that up until now and i'd like to see all three of these what i'm calling or dubbing the prison episodes together because i think it'll be like really intense and really cool you know kind of three hours ish so yeah i really like that one thing i didn't like uh i don't know i i didn't like that there wasn't more uh <laughs> I didn't like that there wasn't more Vel. Honestly, I liked her scenes a lot. Like, I was like, oh, what is this? And I don't want to go too much into it, but I was like, holy, when that when that scene came up, I, that, can I tell you, I dropped my jaw on the floor and I could not are, find it. <laughs> there are moments when we're making this podcast where I'm like, oh, we're not really saying anything that like straight men couldn't also say. Right. And then this scene happens. I'm like, oh no, no, this one's for us. Yep, <laughs> this one's specifically for queer people. This scene is in there. But Bo Willimon has spoken to one, at least one queer person in his life. We begin this week with Deidre interrogating Bix. She threatens to hand Bix to Dr. Gorse, who has a more ruthless method of questioning. Deidre details all the information they have learned from Salman Pack's interrogation. She wants to know everything that Bix knows about the buyer as well as Cassian. Bix refuses to answer, and with Bix uncooperative, Deidre allows Dr. Gorse and his men to interrogate her. Everything about Deidre Miro's monologue that Denise Gorse does, fucking masterclass. Absolutely like fucking goddamn brilliant. Because Bix doesn't speak until several minutes into the scene. And even uh, Adria Arjona just sitting there wordless reacting brilliant everything everything about these two women and their interplay in the scene is absolutely brilliant like the choices that denise makes the inflection she puts on words the way that audrea reacts it's mm, so good and I love just like Deidre's character is slowly but surely getting more and more intense and more and more quote unquote evil. And I love it. 
Did you see Denise Goff's interview, I think, this week that she gave? I, that's, I was just about to bring that up because I saw uh, okay. the quote. Yeah. Um, Where she's like, you start out rooting for the girl boss and then you realize, oh, no, she's also a fucking fascist. And I'm like, thank God the sh- cast of this show gets it. Denise is not out here defending Deidre. And honestly, I no longer support this girl boss. I would like to see her fail now. I don't know. I still kind of want her to win. And that's just me. But that's because I you, as you know, I love You love a lady villain. I love a lady villain. Well, and... well, she's really pushing it because unfortunately, uh Deidre is an actual villain, like what could exist in reality. I think that's probably why, like, for example, I stopped watching like Handmaid's Tale because I don't like things that are realistic. And oh, to I me, just won't even start Handmaid's Tale. I'll just yeah. turn on Fox News. But that's what I'm saying. Watch like that shit. Right. And so that's my thing. Like, I don't like stuff that's real. And to me, you're right. Deidre is just space version of what actual fascism is like. And so (laughs) it's really scary because she's intense and she's real. And the interrogation, like just in general, is just so good. Like just her talking about it, like she is just like, you know what? I'm going to level with you. Like I'm going to be the good cop for like three seconds. And then also, I don't really actually care what you have to say because I know you're lying anyway. So let's just get this uh, interrogation over with. The worst thing you can do right now is bore me. Ugh, chills. That's an Oscar winning line right now. Or I guess any winning line because this is a- this, The writing in this is so good. The acting in this is so good. God, she doesn't get geez. a nom for this. Like, I, I swear, like, I need her to get a nom for this. Here's the, here's the problem this season. There's been so much fucking good acting this season. Between this, Rings of Power, and especially House of the Dragon. Like, there's there's so much good acting on television right now. I am it's, so happy about it's it. It's going to be stacked this year. I, I'm telling you, best supporting female actress and best and best actress are going to be stacked because of all these shows. Like, oh, it's going to be. Oh, insane. there will be blood in the streets over the Emmys this year. There will be light rioting. Uh, I looked up the planet that they mention that Deidre mentions uh, John Dora. It it shows up. The only article I could find about it was it was referenced in one slicing crew skill mission of the old Republic video game. Uh, I'm not even confident this is the same planet. Actually, let me let me Google and double check real fast because I'm not even 100% confident about that. Let's see if... Uh, yeah, right now, as it stands, it appears that that planet only appeared in one mission text in the Old Republic. Like, it isn't even updated on Wikipedia yet. Do you think <clears throat> that the woman that Selwyn Pack met who gave him the transceiver was Clea or Vel? Was it, do we think it was somebody we know? I'm going to say Clea only because she seems to be the most devoted to this rebel cause uh, out of anybody else. I don't know why. She's just like, seems like this is the mission. Like no matter what, it seems like that's her kind of character. And so I'm going to say, yes, that was her. Cause she's the connection to like, she was even talking to Luthen about it, you know, and she was kind of like, we set this up, you know, kind of things. I don't know. I, yeah, I think it's definitely her. I would agree. At the Narkeena five Imperial prison complex, Cassian and his colleagues continue to work on the machine. Olaf has an injured hand and needs some help. Cassian volunteers to swap spots. Back on Ferrex, Dr. Gorse gives Bix a brief history on his torture methods and begins his work. 
Do you, uh, we mentioned last time that Dr. Gorst had gotten a name, uh, and we did figure that he would become important later, so we saved him for this episode, and true enough, he gets his little one-scene wonder here. Do we want to talk about who's playing Dr. Gorst? Yes, he's played by Joshua James, uh, known for Raised by Wolves, and he's been in an episode of Black Mirror nice yeah i i was expecting to pop over because he looks like such a young guy i was expecting to pop over and find like a handful of acting credits now this dude has showed up in quite a few tv shows and like random movies and stuff yeah but he's just here doing his best uh nazi doctor impression i was gonna say he reminds me a lot of um what's that one in the marvel shows like he's like that creepy little guy and he's like a he's like what is the the guy from the Captain America movies? Yes. What's I forget his name. He's like a computer. Well, Armin Zola. Armin Zola. Zola, little, I think, yeah. Little Swiss guy. Yep, that's for I some reason. I am not German, I am Swiss. That oh, guy? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, the guy who becomes a computer. Yes. Yeah, I do... I do think Dr. Gorst is deliberately designed to emulate Nazi scientists. Like, like that's oh, what he's 100% with the, yeah. the experimental, long, like, you know, science, you know, the thing. long jacket, yeah. the experimental science and all that. Well, here's the thing too, about the way he talks. Right. And I thought this was really interesting thinking about the idea of the banality of evil, uh, which was a term that was coined during the Nuremberg trials by a journalist who was covering the Nuremberg trials. And the idea that like evil in this context is kind of boring. Like for the most part, people would just kind of show up to work and do their jobs. And the way that Dr. Gorst talks about his experiments is like, yeah, this happened. Um, We did this and this and this to it. Uh, Here's all the stuff you need to know. Okay, it's going on your head now. And he's just like, this is what we're doing. Here we go. I'm like, that's so much creepier to me than if he had really played up like, I am the evil scientist. Like, this is almost worse and creepier. And the way Deidre walks back in is like, yeah, it's the repeat viewing. Repeat listens, that's the problem. Okay, put it on. Like, ugh, ugh, this scene gave me the ick. I also want to note the sound design in the scene, particularly the absence of sound design. The, the use of the silence, like when he puts it on her head puts the headphones on and there's nothing for a bit. And then she just screams and it cuts straight to the, the whir of the machine. A plus sound designer. Who was the sound designer for this? I need to find out now. Yeah, that was really good because I was worried that they were going to try to make us hear whatever it was. And then it's just like, you don't want to know. Like, it's like more the not knowing is scarier than actually knowing. Right, right. Like, because you can imagine it. Like, movies do this a lot with torture scenes where they'll just kind of leave it up to your imagination because whatever you can imagine is far worse than whatever they could put on the screen. David Accord is the sound designer and supervising sound editor for this episode. Nice. Shout out to David Accord. Back at the prison, Cassian goes on break and heads to the refresher where he attempts to cut a pipe. He is interrupted by the transfer of a new prisoner on the floor. As he is lowered down on the lift, Cassian and another prisoner discuss their escape plan. One minor detail that I want to point out, because I went back and double checked and, and I didn't see one, so I'm fairly confident in saying this. There's no door on the bathroom. Uh, Yeah, it's a prison. Which is... You know, just fucking dehumanizing as shit. They're like, no, you don't even get a door. You get to kind of be around the corner. Also, especially when you're trying to plan an escape of some kind, like it's really hard to, you know... (laughs) So last episode, I had thought that Cassian had been broken 
and was like cooperating with the prison now but this one we see very early on no Cassian's going to try to get out and not only is Cassian going to try to get out he's trying to convince other prisoners to go along with it and he clearly has a few who are also like yeah no we can totally break out of here do we know what he's like attempting to do here like no idea i, I, I can't quite watching, figure it out i was kind of watching that too i was like what's the plan here with the pipes and looking at the guards like what's what's going on i can't figure it out my only thing is like honest. this kind of seems like a classic trope of prison kind of things where it's like they stop the toilet up and they cause maintenance or someone to come into their space and thus oh, they yeah, can jump that, them or something that would stop yeah that would stop the workflow right on the floor that's what i was thinking like it would bust the pipe or something and then that would cause it to flood or something and then they would be like oh now the floor doesn't work because the water's on the floor or something like i don't know maybe there's something there but yeah that's that's interesting we'll see if you're right next episode watch that be exactly what happens watch that be episode. exactly what fucking happens i'm gonna be uh this is just like the aldani death count again i you're just gonna be so smug i hate watching your face be smug because you your lips kind of have this way of pursing up and like into your face when you kind of sit there with this smug, self-satisfied expression on your dumb little twink features. And I've been having to watch that a lot this show. Back at the prison, Cassian and his fellow prisoners continue working on a machine, but are slowing down due to Olaf. Yeah, shout out to our Disney trifecta dude, also doing some hella fucking good acting in this episode. Uh, like, also, also pause, I said Olaf, not Olaf. <laughs> I noticed you said that, and I was going to blast straight through it. Speaking of Disney. Um, Speaking of the Disney trifecta. Right, uh, my bad, my bad. So one thing that was brought up, because Cassian is is very protective of Ulof in these scenes. Uh, and, and something that was brought up in conversations is that it is implied that Marva may have some form of dementia or her mind might be deteriorating a bit. Uh, and this is implied especially heavily in episode seven and eight that that's happening. And somebody brought up, I can't remember who it was brought up in the chat, the idea that, maybe Cassian is protective of Olaf for the same reason that he sees a bit of his mother in Olaf. I, I could see that. It's, it makes things extra yeah, sad. Yeah, definitely. No it, no, it's definitely sad, especially when you watch throughout the episode, you kind of watch Olaf's like deterioration. So they kind of keep hinting at it as they go through the scenes and you're just like, oh yeah, this is just getting sadder and sadder. <laughs> Well, the other thing, too, is that, that Cassian's the only person really looking out for Olaf. Kino Lloyd's trying to, like, push him through. He's constantly trying to be like, no, you've only got 40 more shifts. You've only got 40 more shifts. Come on. Because Kino, of course, we'll get there in a second, really honestly believes that people who are getting released are actually being let back out. And so he's trying to push him. If Olaf had gotten medical help sooner, he may not have died. But because the fact that Nobody was really paying attention to him until it was too late. That is why what happens in this episode happens. Following the interrogation, Deidre tells the captain to keep Bix alive. They agree to hang Salmon Pack as a reminder to the locals of Imperial Authority. I have only one note about this sequence, and I will read it verbatim in my sarcastic tone of voice. 
Oh boy, another hanging on Ferrix. This will go well. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, the second he said, can we just like hang in real quick? You know, like I just kind of like think that's like the vibe today. And they were like, mm, yeah, this this is a good idea. Like, let's do this. Rhaegar, Rhaegar, your Ares is showing. That joke just went completely over Bradley's head, but I promise you some people in the audience got it. I will not explain the I will not explain the joke to you, Bradley. I explained it in previous episodes. You're just gonna have to keep up. I'll have to go back through our archive. I I will I'll explain it to you later. Yeah, that was the only note I had here because if we remember Clem was hung and Cassian responded by attacking a bunch of clone troopers with a metal stick. So my theory at this point is that they're going to try to hang Selwyn Pack, and a lot more people with a lot more sticks are going to have something to say about that. I think you're right. I think they'll either, they'll stop it from happening and it's going to like cause a riot or it will happen and the riot will happen immediately after. Right, it'll be be a retaliation thing. Absolutely. And they will not be able to control it. And that's your finale essentially right yeah and i've mentioned to a few people i'm like this is sort of the show is about people getting pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed by the empire until they finally you know reach a breaking point and we are drawing close to that breaking point and that's why these episodes are so dark at the imperial senate senator mon mothma voices opposition to the emperor's new public safety legislation later mothma's driver informs her that her cousin has arrived from chandrilla there is a complete breakdown of decorum in the Senate chamber. Yeah, they all just kind of like start leaving or like be like, they're like, ah, fuck this. And then they well, just like all close leaving. off the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I did, I did make a note of that, that there's people, the other senators that just walk out during a speech, but there's people like booing her. There's people yeah, they're like, like, the empire forever. Insult, like like blah, long blah, live the yeah. empire at right. her. She's just taking, like, she's right. Everything she says is correct, but no one cares. And you do see a couple of people that are, like, trying to tell other people to be quiet, but it's just, like, a total breakdown. And the thing is, nothing that happens in this chamber really matters to the Emperor. It's basically just a rubber stamp. He's going to do whatever he wants. But essentially what the Imperial Senate feels like right now is it's just a place where a bunch of rich people can go to yell at each other uh, about what whether whatever it is the emperor is doing now and then they all retire back to their homes we saw this in obi-wan kenobi and we saw this in andor they just sort of retire back to their homes to drink their wine and the only ones that are actually trying to do anything about it like mon mothma or bail organa get shouted down or belittled or insulted or made fun of so it's a really interesting dynamic versus something like the senate in the republic era where the senate actually mattered and because of it it had a lot more decorum and a lot more respect like Mon talks about, you know, urging senators who still think of this place as a temple, which makes sense because she holds democracy sacred to the point we will see in Rogue One that the mission to Scarif almost gets scrapped because Mon won't just step in and make a decision herself. She believes that strongly in democracy. I find it funny that um, the last time we see Palpatine essentially in the Senate is the final, you know, kind of scenes in... um, 
Revenge of the Sith. And I like how he's kind of like, you know what? I don't need to ever go back to work ever again. <laughs> I literally can do whatever the fuck I want. I Palpatine, the, like, Palpatine was like, I, I will become the Galactic Emperor. First decree, I get to work from home. That's, that's exactly what he did. Second decree, no one else gets to work from home. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Mon has a cousin, apparently. Uh, I knew immediately who it was going to be. Did you? Did you know immediately who it was going to be? I had no fucking clue. I thought it was the most random out of left field part of this whole entire episode. What, when they were like, you have a cousin who's here. Yeah, because I was like, who the fuck is her cousin? Like, I, that, I'm, gen- I'm genuinely being serious. Like, I had no fucking clue who her cousin was. I was like, is this code for something? Like, I genuinely thought the driver was being like a double, double agent or something and being like, oh, your cousin is here. And she's like, what? I don't have a cousin, like, kind of thing. And then they introduce her to somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I had seen the... I had- seen the promotional like i watch all the teasers and stuff so i had seen vel and mon together and i immediately put ahead i combined that with what Cinta said in the last episode and i was like yeah okay it's gonna be vel it's gonna be vel back at the prison while in line back to the cells things seem to be taking forever when the lights go out briefly the alarms begin blaring and someone tells them that something is wrong on level two lloyd dismisses the prisoners for trying to communicate just as the intercom orders all the prisoners to proceed to their station yeah so uh i'm gonna take a little bit of an issue with some of your wording because it actually leads me into my first note loy kino loy's problem is not that the prisoners are attempting to communicate it's that he doubts the validity of what they're saying because i thought when i watched the last episode and i saw the people like signing to each other i had thought they were people that like knew each other like from outside right no it's just somehow the prisoners who've set up this communication network to where every bridge has somebody who communicates the news from their block gotcha. and that's how news spreads around this prison which i thought was really interesting and i want to know the logistics of how that network was set up precisely i think it's interesting that that kino is so hostile to anything being at like the idea of anything being out of the ordinary because he like needs this system to function even though the system is actively oppressing him and he will get like super hostile if you're like um something's wrong here no it's not shut the fuck up go back to work well yeah because he's almost about to leave so he thinks that as long as we all do what we're told and we do whatever it is that the empire is telling us to do i get to go home in a few days i get to leave and be free while you guys are all stuck here i don't care about you anymore like so stay in line that's like what four or five months that he has left something like that something like that yeah Back at Coruscant, Mothma and her daughter Lita meet with Mothma's cousin, who is, surprise, Vel Sartha. Vel tells Mothma that she has been traveling for the past six months and hints at her work for the rebellion. She tells Mothma things are happening. Vel Sartha, Mon Mothma, Perrin Firtha. We probably should have figured out. There was some yeah. theories bouncing around that Vel was Chandralyn. There were some theories that she might be like a illegitimate daughter, right. something like that. 
uh, no, it turns out Vel is Mon's cousin. That's so surprise. Weird. Yeah, now that you think that illegitimate, that'd be like, what if they took the character of Mon Mothma's son and just changed it into Vel? Like, I thought that's where that was going for a second. I, I would have like, personally loved that. That would have um, been amazing. Uh, but I do see why they made this particular choice. No, I I actually like this choice. It's just as good. I was not quite sure what the connection was because when I was watching the scenes, I was like, well, is it Mon's cousin or is like cousin just a broad term? Like, oh, it's on Perrin's side. Okay, but, this, like, this got know, brought confused. up actually because uh, Lita refers to Vel as Aunt Aunt Vel. Right. I think that what's going on is that Vel genuinely is Mon's cousin. Like, right, it's not her, her sister. Her aunt or her uncle's cousin. kid. Okay. And Lita calls her Aunt Vel because Vel is around a lot. And young kids gotcha. will refer to adults who are around a lot as aunt or uncle. Uh, I do unfortunately have to bring up a terrible movie here, but it's the one on the tip of my tongue. In Age of Ultron, when they meet Clint's family, Hawkeye's family, they call Natasha Auntie Nat. It's like that. Sometimes like close family friends, close family friends or family members who are around a lot will be referred to as aunt or uncle, regardless of if they're like a biological aunt or uncle or if there's something completely different. So I think that's what's going on here. Uh, I will now promise to you never bring bring up age of ultron on the podcast again because that movie fucking sucks sidebar um I, we're still talking about that's not a sidebar we're still talking about that so in that bringing aspect, us back around bringing yes. us back to back to back to that um so when you're saying aunt vel do we i have a problem with this only because like okay i know perrin talks to her later but does perrin think that she's her cousin like could theoretically vel not actually be her cousin and like this is all a, like a farce and then, I like feel that's like, kind of like what no i feel like chandralins they seem to be so wrapped up in like family and it seems to be such a big thing that i don't think they could pass somebody off as a cousin okay so she's like she's genuinely related to mon mon she's genuinely some, related to mon capacity there's okay, enough okay. circumstantial evidence gotcha. and like they mention later on like they bring up take Holma potentially as someone that vel should know right okay the, it was a little confusing because when she called her aunt Bell, I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I need to like, I need to fix my family tree. No, like, it's, what's it's, going it's on? Just yeah. a, it's just a term of endearment. That's all it is. Uh, I, I like the the little exchange that Lita and Mon have where Mon's like, you know, we'll, we'll see what your father says. And Lita's like, dad lets me do whatever I want. Because we talked about in previous episodes, parents trying to establish himself as fun parent. And we see here that he has succeeded. Honestly, fuck parent. We'll get to fuck parent in a minute. But I'm just saying that up front. And I, I also do like Vel echoing Senta's line back to Mon, where Mon's like, well, you know, I'm super worried about you. You should visit more. And and Vel's like, well, you know, the rebellion comes first and we take whatever's left. And I'm like, let me just lie down on the floor and weep for a little bit. Because like Vel gets it when it comes to everybody except her girlfriend. That That line made me sad. While the prisoners are resting in their cells, Cassian asks Loy about escaping. He tells Cassian that the best way to survive is to not think about escaping, and or cries out in frustration that nobody is listening. Roll credit. Oh, fuck you, Bradley. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. 
fuck you. I can I can say that as loudly as I want because my boyfriend is not home. He is at work. So fuck you, Bradley, you stupid fucking twink. You just put that in there to piss me off. I know you did. You want to hear a really funny little side quip? I, I have trained my roommate now to say that whenever something like an episode or something happens and like that where someone's like says the line of the episode or the name or just whatever the movie or whatever it is. I like he'll start he'll go roll credits like and he does it he does it instinctively and it's so fucking funny because I've trained him to do that and it's hilarious. You are a terrible fucking person. Uh, I love I it I want so you much. to know that. I love you it. You are so an much. awful repulsive little pile of human garbage. I hate you so much. So much that I talk to you on, on a podcast for two hours every week. Uh, that's the worst fate that I can inflict on you. Yeah, I, I think the entire premise and, and this scene kind of forms the core thesis statement for the episode. The entire premise of nobody's listening to us, we're not important, is a really interesting one, both in the context of this mini arc and then as has been pointed out, some of the last lines of dialogue that Cassian Andor ever says in his life are a conversation he has with Jen where they're like, do, do you think somebody is listening after they send the Death Star plans out? And they're like, you know, somebody has to be. So it's it's pain. It's pain. Like it's it's a very nice thesis statement, but it also hurts very deeply. I also want to shout out the uh, once again shout out the acting from Andy Circus with the little the face journeys that he goes through. Andy Circus is such an expressive actor, like just in general. Like, and we see this through. It comes from being a mocap actor, but he really, when he gets to take on a, a serious like meaty role like this, we get to see the command just this man has over his facial muscles. It's insane. Yeah, this is probably the wrong way to say this, but he like he enunciates his emotions <laughs> I mean like essentially he really does and not in a bad way like you could never look at him and say this man is overacting but it feels like if you tell an actor you know play sadness play anger play this particular journey they're gonna go through the journey and and you're gonna see it on their face Andy Circus just has control of his face and he can just move it however he wants to and it comes across in these very clear, deliberate, powerful, but not too powerful expressions in his features. This man is is just like a once in a lifetime actor in how he does things. At the ISB central office, Deidre delivers her report to Major Partagaz about Vix Kellyn's interrogation. Deidre tells the other ISB officials that Andor returned to Ferex three nights after the events on Aldani. Attendant Hart recalls that Andor shaved his beard, which matches with the reports that the rebels on Aldani were all clean-shaven. Partagaz agrees to allow Deidre to investigate the Aldani connection further. When Partagaz asks why Deidre did not interrogate Andor's mother, Miro says that they could use her as bait should Andor return. So don't really have a lot of notes on this sequence just because there's there's not a whole lot going on here that hasn't been touched on in previous previous ISB scenes. You know, the way that Partagast runs his meetings, the way that it's shot, the way that it's set up, all of it. Um, the only sort of note I had here is I found it really interesting that Deidre's assistant steps in. And when he does, did you see the look on her face when, when the assistant steps in? She's completely caught off guard by it. She wasn't like prepared. Like she, she was wasn't like- prepared 
prepared for that. It was almost like, hey, whoa, I thought we were a team kind of thing. And then it was just like, mm, I'm going to take the initiative here. And it's Yeah, I was looking at it. I was like, is he trying to supplant her? Like, But then like later on, too, they seem like they're back to normal. But he's already gone ahead and made a lot of the preparations. So I'm kind of thinking maybe the assistant is gunning for her job. Yeah, you know, it's weird because I thought like we kind of... I think we said this when we first kind of introduced him that he was kind of like almost the gay best friend, right? Like it's kind of one of those like things. The where it's like the gay assistant? The gay assistant. assistant. But now it's like, oh, maybe he's coming for her job. Well, and I thought about that too, because now if you compare this to say like Ugly Betty, for example, is a great example of the gay assistant and the very powerful woman boss, right? She, in that show, you know, he, at first he's very loyal. He's very like, um, like, whatever she says is you know god's word kind of thing right and then slowly but surely in his brain and his character growth he realizes oh my boss is an evil person and i'm better than her or better at you know i need to be a better person and kind of overthrows her or tries to undermine her Right. So I think that's what we're seeing with him. I also think that's what we're seeing here. I don't know how deliberate it's going to get, but I don't know. It might, it has to be because they keep bringing him back in all these scenes. And I don't know if they would do that if he was just a minor, minor character. Yeah, I think he's going to make a play for her job. 100%. In the prison, news begins to spread that 100 men on level 2 were electrocuted to death. During his outburst, Andor tells Lloyd that they need to be careful and make sure the guards think that they know less about the prison than they actually do. Lloyd asserts control over the other prisoners and dismisses the deaths as a rumor. Yeah, Lloyd is really starting to crack under the pressure and you can see it in Andy Circus's face. And in the vocal inflections he does, oh, honestly, I swear to God, if if you want to see a fucking masterclass in acting, just watch the Andy Circus scenes from this episode. Never mind that the Deidre and Bic scenes are fucking incredible acting, that Mon is doing some absolutely incredible acting. If you were to just highlight, it takes a lot to stand out in this field. And the journey that, that Andy Circus is taking Kino Loy on through these episodes, purely in how he speaks and how he looks is phenomenal. Back on Coruscant, Edie Karn notices that her son Cyril always goes to work early and returns home even later. She admits that she has been searching in his room. When he and Cyril objects, Edie thinks that her son is being ungrateful and accuses Cyril of neglecting her in the past. Cyril informs his mother that he has been promoted and adds that his work hours will be increased. She is elated. All right, Bradley, do you want to hear some tea from my college days before I met you? Sure. (laughs) Do you want to hear about the professor I fucking hated? I thought you were going to end that sentence a lot closer. No. (laughs) Uh, Not in my department that happened at any rate no there was a professor that i fucking hated and i will now tell you why i absolutely hated this professor so this professor uh and i did not get along at all uh i am an extremely opinionated person and if generally if there is a group of people who are upset about something i will usually be the 
one to actually vocalize it. There were some issues with this professor. A group of people had them. I vocalized it aloud. And after that, we really didn't get along. I didn't care that much because I honestly actually respect people who fucking hate me and just will tell me. And I'm totally cool with that. Here's where we had a problem. There was a writing competition at the school and I was one of the winners. And after I won, this professor became like my best friend for like two weeks. It was unnatural. And then they remembered they fucking hate me. So uh, they went back to normal after two weeks. But I lost so much respect for them because I'm like, if you don't like me, fine. That is okay. I can completely understand where from where you're sitting, you don't care for me at all. But when I get some measure of success, don't spin around based on that success and pretend like you always thought that I had potential because that just feels like you want to be critical when I'm not succeeding and you only want to be supportive when I am and you can latch on to it. This scene with Edie Karn, when she like, when he's like, I got promoted and she flipped on a dime. I went from, oh, you are really, you'd be really unpleasant to have as a mother too. I fucking hate you. I fucking hate you. You are an awful status obsessed person and I despise you. And that is the the tea on a professor that I fucking hated in college and why Edie Karn reminds me of this person. And what I think is interesting too is like you can see on Cyril's face how much he loathes his mother. Like he genuinely is like... Well, but seriously, yeah. I mean, she's essentially done nothing but belittle him and right. make him since he got home. And when he achieves even the slightest bit of success, she tries to like revel in it. And I'm like, you barely contributed to this. I don't care for her very much, Bradley. I imagine she probably wouldn't. Because <laughs> you dress too nice and you never talk to your mother. Oh my God. Oh my God. She does have that like Brooklyn mom vibe to her. That's like the like, exact vibe that they're going From for. every fucking TV show that you've ever watched is set in Brooklyn where they got the Brooklyn accent. Yeah, no, that's that's Edie Card to a T. I, I, I'm interested to see where we go with Cyril because it all kind of speaks to Cyril's mental state. We'll see in a later scene that uh, Cyril's a very warped individual when it comes to relationships and interactions with people. And as he interacts with his mother, you can sort of tell how that happened. Now, Cyril is a grown-ass man who makes his own choices and could actively make the choice to be better, but at least explaining how he got here, this is a big part of that. Yeah, my only note on the sequence was how much I fucking hate Edie Karn now, and, and my personal experience with a professor like this in college, who I also fucking hated and still hate to this day. Welcome to Charles bitches about his alma mater for an hour. The show where Charles explains why his alma mater once reached out to him via email because of stuff he posted on Twitter. True story, that happened. Moving on. Bradley, who went to the same school, is going to be very, very quiet at this point. Yeah, because they might actually ask me back. They're Um, never going to ask me back for shit. It does not matter how many things I get published or how many... (laughs) How many projects I successfully do, they are never going to ask me back after some of the shit I've said about them correctly. Back at the prison, Andor and his fellow prisoners, including Ulaf, work on assembling a piece of machinery. Ulaf is visibly exhausted and struggles to keep up with his colleagues. Yeah, I I had Bradley include this just because once again, I, I want to shout out this guy's 
acting. Uh, the actor for Olaf, let me look up his name again. Christopher Fairbank uh, is the actor's name. He's so fucking good. Like, he, it's terrifying to watch. It genuinely looks like he's in, like, pain and struggling. Fun fact about this guy. Uh, have you ever watched the Tim Burton Batman movie? Yes. Do you know the scene right at the very beginning where he picks the thug up and he goes, I'm Batman? Like, it's uh, right at the beginning of the movie? Oh, vaguely. So, okay. Uh, Christopher Fairbank is the thug being picked up. Oh, okay. In that scene. So I, I just wanted to continue to shout him out uh, because he is very, very cool. Okay, are you ready for the dinner scene? I'm ready for the dinner scene. Back on Coruscant at dinner, Perrin asks Vel if she is returning to Chandrilla. Vel claims that she is heading back for the pilgrimage. When Perrin asks if Vel will find a husband, Vel says that it's not on her list of priorities. Perrin quips about Vel being past the ideal age of marriage. He then suggests Tay Colma, who he describes as Mon Mothma's former school boyfriend. In private, Mothma advises Vel to pretend to be a spell rich girl in order to hide her rebel activities. All right. How many dinners like this have you sat through in your life, Bradley? This was so good because this was so good. Aaron is taking the kind of the spot of the disapproving parents, right? He's kind of like in that spot. Like if Vel's parents were sitting there and they were like, oh God, she's a lesbian. Oh God, she's, you know, not living up to her potential and getting like a whatever. Well, it's job. like somebody like, who doesn't know <laughs> is the thing. Right. Aaron has that energy of like somebody that you've gone to the family reunion with that you don't have on, you don't add on Facebook, doesn't know anything about you and you show up after, you know, once a year and they're like, so did you find a girlfriend yet? And you're sitting here like, no, but I've sucked about two dozen cocks since you saw me last. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. No, it's so true. And that's one of the things like she's like, I love how she doesn't go out of her way to be like, no, but my girlfriend thinks so or, you know, kind of thing. Like she doesn't add that on there because she doesn't care what parent thinks. So she doesn't even bother with the the whole entire telling him her name. Well, Mon knows, which she clearly honestly, does. Yeah. You know what? I've I've remembered the joke. I've remembered the joke. I was going to say, I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and my gender this week is canonical queer ally Mon Mothma. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I love that she knows too because she does do that smile of like teehee you have a girlfriend like it's like she does that he doesn't know which I love no Perrin manages to condense all of the worst relative you've ever spoken to ever lines. The when are you going to find a heterosexual partner line. The well, you're getting really old to pop out babies line to to a woman. Uh, The I am so glad you haven't gotten all political on me line. I'm like, this dude is the worst. No, he hits the trifecta of just all the worst parts. And I love I love that he tops the cherry off too with being like, you know what? You know who you would be really good for is my wife's ex that I fucking can't stand. (laughs) 
he's such a great guy he's perfect for you like oh wait i was a little confused because i was like wait oh is well it's sort of implied from the dialogue that like maybe tay isn't actually mon's old boyfriend and that's just what perrin has been calling him because it's lita that brings it up right lita's the one that calls her mon's old boyfriend and mon is like shocked she's like who was telling you that she's like dad right yeah like yeah who, who told you that i dated this guy like mon's like no we were in grade school I'm like, mm, okay, what's the story here? Yeah, it's getting more and more suspicious. I'm sorry, they're not trying to hide that there is like some kind of weird thing going on here. There, something happened between Tay and Mon something when they were happened. very young. And we still don't know what that is. But whatever it is, Mon clearly trusted him. We will find out if that trust was correctly placed or what's going on here. But yeah, this scene absolutely... No, perfect. Uh, 10 out of 10, no notes. I absolutely fucking hated watching this. When When he said the first line about finding a husband, I felt my entire body tense up. Yep. And my soul like evaporated inside of me. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, I've been a straight passing person at a family reunion before. I've been asked these questions. Oh yeah. I think every gay felt this in their soul when they watched and, this. They and were if like, you oh, are queer, yeah, you, you have go. had conversation about the when are you gonna find a husband and or wife, depending on your 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 perceived gender. And I'm like, oh. I hate this. Again, Bo Willimon has clearly spoken to both queer people and women when he wrote some of these scenes. And there's another scene coming up that definitely Bo Willimon spoke to a woman and listened to what she said because it is uncomfortably, according to women I have spoken to, uncomfortably accurate. But uh, man, as a queer person watching this scene, I was like, I hate this so fucking much. I love it, but I also hate it. I also want to shout out uh, real quick, we're, we're not going to dwell too much on the back half of the scene, but the shot of Mon Mothma's back when Vel leaves and she's alone again and you see her kind of deflate, Mwah. chef's kiss. Beautiful, beautiful. So much conveyed with Genevieve O'Reilly turned away from the camera. We don't even see her face and there's so much, so much that was conveyed. Later, Cyril makes an unscheduled visit to the ISB central office where he ambushes Deidre and thanks her for securing his promotion. Believing that Cyril is stalking her, she warns him that further unsolicited visits could land him in trouble. Cyril tells Deidre that he admires her for the work she is doing. He grabs her arm to stop her from walking away and continues the conversation. She warns him that she can make his life difficult if he doesn't leave her alone. Later at her office, attendant Hart informs Miro that Imperial authorities have apprehended a rebel pilot who was using a stolen Imperial masking unit. Deidre tells Hart to dispatch Dr. Gorse to interrogate the prisoner. Bradley is massively underselling uh, the fact that Cyril is 100% stalking her. I was trying not to make it too weird, but no no, like it's fucking weird. No, it's getting it is weird. Fucking weird. It's getting it, weird. Literally, my notes about this scene are: this is fucking creepy. Like when I was, I was watching the scene with my boyfriend, and like I mentioned, like this is one of the few times we sat down and watched the shows together, and. When he's enjoying a show, he doesn't talk a lot during it, with the exception of House of the Dragon. He turned to me during midway through this scene and said, I don't like watching this. 
like this made him uncomfortable this made me uncomfortable this made everybody i talked to that has watched this scene uncomfortable it's a fucking weird creepy scene this made me uncomfortable in a good way because i cyril is getting into a very dangerous oh zone. Yeah. like very dangerous and he even to the point where he was like oh my god i love what you're doing you make me like i'm inspired to be around There's you i was beauty like and justice of the galaxy i'm like right i'm like what the fuck are you talking about like like he's getting creepy and in a great way because it's almost it's like very well done i will say yeah that. it's it really very good. well done i fucking hate it but it's very well done well and it's getting to the point where like i'm like i get like i feel like he met her and then he was like wait a minute like and i don't think it's like a sexual attraction but it's definitely like a weird creepy like i want to be you thing yes like almost 100%. like i want to wear your skin kind of thing <laughs> like i don't know what's going on here but it's getting creepy Jesus, it's, no you're you're completely right like because he talks about like you and i want the same things and getting it and i'm like this man is fucking insane like and then when he like grabs her arm we don't see deidre break that much we don't see like her express emotions outside of her work or anything she is fucking terrified in this the moment he grabs her arm which is uh, a, a great choice um I'm not sure who made it. Probably the actress made it. But absolutely fucking great choice. That's that's one of the few times that mask sort of cracks. Because she genuinely is afraid and she should be. Uh, because it is absolutely terrifying that this man has stalked her to her work, misinterpreted his interrogation by the secret police as a conversation, ranted about like weird online board justice shit, and then when she tries to leave, reaches out and physically detains her from leaving. Like, what the fuck, dude? What the actual fuck, man? And you can tell that, like, people don't touch her. Like, she does not, she's not physically touched, like, a normal kind of, like, everyday thing. That's a ever. boundary for her. That's yeah, very that, clearly a boundary. And yeah, Cyril being just touched runs is right not her. her. Yeah, it is not, she does not like to be touched. It is not something she does. And the second he does that, she melts, essentially. She turns into this, like, puddle of, like, oh, what the fuck? Like, do not She's, like, trying to disappear (laughs) down into the floorboards. And she does reform and and get control of the situation back. But there's this moment where she's, like... And a lot of of women and femmes that I've spoken to, a lot of the general consensus that I've heard from them has been that this scene is uncomfortably accurate. Like in the way that Cyril kind of shows up and it's extremely creepy and it's fucking weird that this dude has like followed her to her work because he's like obsessed with her. It's an it's a thing that a lot of women and femmes have had to deal with. Uh, something similar to this happening. And it's it's just really fucking uncomfortable to watch. But again, it's a really well-constructed, uncomfortable to watch. I also, moving on to the, the next little quick scene where they talk about the destroyer, uh, the pilot. I like that we're hearing about this in the context of Deidre. Uh, a lesser show would probably have shown this on screen. But I like that Andor the way it delivers like exposition like this is it does it through the context of the characters speaking about it and not showing everything on screen. We keep our focus down tight on the characters. 
and they'll get and they get into it a little bit later on you know they discuss more so what's happening in their little meeting but you're right i that we didn't need to see it we didn't need to it's fine just have the assistant tell her what's happening and then we'll we'll talk about it later yeah because the show like the events take place over a broad swath of of space but the characters we're dealing with are very centralized and i like that we're keeping that focus on those characters now that's not to say you know a hundred plus years from now when there's no creativity whatsoever left in the universe that they're like you know what we need to do that scene from andor as a movie where they take that pilot and they capture him and blah 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 oh wait See if this were if this were a mainline <laughs> Star Wars film, they would already have released a five issue comic series about that pilot getting captured at the Destroyer. Yeah, yeah. which it irks now that me you say, so much. Now that, that you say that, they're gonna do it. Well, no, there's been no fucking tie-ins for Andor. Obi Wan Kenobi. When they did Obi Wan Kenobi, they couldn't tie stuff in, but they released multiple novels and comics about Obi-Wan Kenobi to tie in in some form. Andor's gotten nothing thus far. And I get it. Partially it's because High Republic Phase 2 is starting to come out and also be really good and really uncomfortable to read. And uh, Bradley, as a, as a, uh, you're a pastor's kid, right? Making sure I got that right. Ex-pastor's kid. There's a novel in Phase 2 of the High Republic I'd be interested to hear you read, but I know that a lot of their focus is on on the High Republic Phase 2 right now, but like I'm kind of hoping we get something that ties in in some form to Andor because there's a lot of these... A lot of the themes and stories and stuff that's been set up by the show, I would really love to see them kind of do more with. Elsewhere on Coruscant, Tay Colma and Mothma discuss the matter of donations for her secret rebel charity. Tay says that the authorities are noticing suspicious transactions. Tay reassures her that she is not in trouble unless they scan the accounts, but warns that time is limited. Tay advises Mothma to seek a particular Shandrillan banker with treasury relationships and a business book that is huge. She points out that this particular banker is a wealthy criminal. Colma says that they have little choice due to the tough new tax laws, and Tay tells Mothma that the banker wants to meet her. Banking is one of my things. I will try to interpret what is happening in this scene. Because yay! Banking cries! Oh my god, okay. They really wrote this show for me. So best I can tell as to what's happening, Mon is essentially trying to do like a reverse money laundering thing to where ordinary there's this fantastic scene for breaking bad where they explain what money laundering is and basically how you would take dirty money launder it so it's clean and then put it into an account so that when the government looks at it they are like oh clearly this money came from your nail salon instead of all of the drugs that you are selling, which is the example that Breaking Bad uses. Mon's trying to do the reverse. So she's trying to make it so that the money that's leaving her account isn't flagged as unusually suspicious. So she's trying to make sure that withdrawal is clean. And the issue now is that she basically moved, from what I can tell, she basically moved the money from her personal account into the charity. Then they moved the money from the charity out. And now there's this big gaping hole in the ledger. 
that briefly appears and then disappears. And now they have to fill that hole in with something, which is why she needs a loan from this guy. Because she doesn't have another 400000 that she can just pull out and put in there. Now she needs a loan from this guy, who she doesn't describe as a criminal, she just describes him as a thug. Okay, now you're just playing with words that mean the same thing. Well, well, because specifically, the excuse that Tay's using if... If when they when she speaks to this guy okay you are right he is kind of engaging in some like criminal ish behavior but it seems like what he does is he helps rich people do mild financial crimes right which is a criminal <laughs> oh okay okay see when you say criminal i think like solo han solo Okay, white-collar crime is still a crime. That is true. White-collar crime is still a crime. <laughs> it's not as fancy as murder and other well, things. Well, yeah, as best I can tell, the excuse they're going to use is she was trying to move the money around to avoid the annoying new taxes, which apparently a lot of people are doing. Uh, honestly, I need to go back over the scene with a fine-tooth comb in some context uh, and maybe make a TikTok trying to explain what's happening here financially, because it seems to be actually quite incredibly complicated but it also does seem like they have thought it through but in brief it does sound like she's trying to do a reverse money laundering thing where she's trying to make the withdrawal look clean instead of normally in money laundering you would have a deposit you're trying to make look clean we're not going to talk about him because he hasn't shown up yet but they talk about the banker we'll call him they even name drop him and i was like confused because I made the mistake of thinking that this was somebody we already knew. I uh, I didn't double check, I think, because I just sort of knew okay. that because we hadn't the name... seen Davo, Davo Skulden before, uh, but I am just poking around on, on Wikipedia. and Okay, but do you see where I might have made the mistake? Do you, do you oh, know no, what 100%. I'm thinking of? Well, the thing is with Star Wars names, they all sound the same. Right. So I can 100% we looked at Davos Skulden and went, yeah, we've totally seen Davos Skulden before. I'm going to do, I am now going to do my impression of Chris and Steph from the Divas impression of me. Okay. While Davos Skulden was a minor character who showed up in Darth Vader number issue number 437 on page three, he had one line of dialogue and was named and then we never saw him again. That sounds about right. I believe that, actually. <laughs> that's that's my impression of the diva's impression of me. <laughs> no, but I thought when they said that name, I thought they were talking about, um, what's his, I thought it was, his name was Davos. Like, isn't there somebody named Davos that we've met already? Uh, are you thinking of Davos Seaworth from Game of Thrones? I don't think so. Who am I? I don't know who I'm thinking of, honestly, because I was like, there's I a Davos. I don't know either. Is there no Davos? Search on Wikipedia right now and just type in Davos and just tell me there's uh, no That's Davos. what I just did. No, there's nothing that pops up. Nothing Davo, nothing Davo. There's a, uh, let's see, there's a, a Legends, a couple of Legends characters that you wouldn't know uh but no that you may be thinking of uh sir davos seaworth from game of thrones that's so weird i don't know why yeah maybe i was thinking of oh you know what i was thinking oh my god you're gonna think i'm such an idiot this i already do but please you're okay davos 
I was getting confused with Clovis. Please explain, please explain to people what that is before I rush my shit. You mean Rush Clovis, the only other yes. like substantially major banker character that we've encountered yes. before this show? That's that's what I was thinking of when they Fucking said that guy's creepy name. kissing Padme without her consent. Yes, rush that's what Clovis. I was thinking of. Because Marring I thought... other what would otherwise be an extremely interesting arc with his weird male bull bullshit rush clovis yeah no it's not rush clovis he fucking died oh okay well again i really need to rewatch clone wars i really think you need to rewatch because it's ruining my rewatch clone wars i think it's ruining everything yeah i don't know if i'll be able to but we'll we'll try I, I think it's time for you to rewatch Clone Force. Yeah, it's been a minute. Okay, that, yeah, or, sorry. I or apologize for that. you could just listen. Both First Steps and Dark Side Divas have both made their way through Clone Wars in chronological order. Shout out to our friends at First Steps and Dark Side Divas. At the ISB central office, Deidre and Hart brief Major Partigaz about the captured rebel pilot. Supervisors enter the room and Partigaz informs them about the capture of the rebel pilot. Partigaz believes that the leader of the group is unaware of the pilot's capture. They propose destroying the ship and making his disappearance look like an accident. Deidre proposes fouling the ship, killing the pilot, and planting his dead body aboard the ship. She suggests staging the accident quickly and allowing the ship to drift into traffic. Partigaz agrees to mirror plan and tells her to make it a top priority. So I got my eye on that ginger guy. The one who's constantly like either late or being yelled at by Partigas. I'm watching him. Why is that? I feel like he's he's been brought up and made the center of attention a little too much. In a like... I don't know. In that Something way or is like, up with him. I'm secretly working with the rebels kind of way. Possibly. Okay. It does show that Saul was completely right about Anton Krieger. Uh, one of his guys did get captured, folded immediately, uh, and completely revealed everything that was going to happen. So if Saw had actually taken the meeting with Krieger, he probably would have lost his air forces. So we'll see if this comes up a little bit later, that Saw was correct to judge that Krieger's operation was not up par. I only had one tiny note about this scene. Deidre fucking coming up with the idea to put the dead body back into the ship and being like no let's just do it like this instead of she like she is an evil fascist she is girl boss evil i fucking love that's She's all i an evil say. fascist girl boss girl boss yes but also remember evil and fascist yeah no that was extremely fucked up at the factory prison during a drill Olaf almost collapses from exhaustion and is held up by his fellow inmates as the prisoners return to their bunks one of the inmates informs lloyd that Olaf needs a doctor Andor and the others help carry the weakened Olaf. during the journey Olaf collapses and lloyd calls for a medic the medic named receive who is a fellow prisoner attends to the exhausted Olaf. After examining him, Receive realizes that Olaf has suffered a massive stroke. Lacking the resources to treat him, Receive calls the guard for a bag and a trolley. Receive instructs Loy and Andor to hold his shoulders down and his legs while he administers drugs to euthanize Olaf. Receive is evasive about the events on level 2 and tells Loy to keep his men in line. As the guard leaves, Receive tells Lloyd that a man who was just released on level four ended back up on level two the following day. When word got out, they killed them all. 
Andor and Loy realize that nobody will be leaving the prison before a guard orders them to go back to their bunks. As they exit, Loy tells Andor there are no more than 12 guards on each level. Yeah, I love the the prisoner solidarity in the scene where Olaf is actually having the stroke and and they kind of move to block him both from being seen uh, while the the sh- like torturing is going on at the table that was in last place and also like block him from seeing that and, and anybody from seeing him i just i generally like love solidarity like that they really haven't gone the route with this of making the prisoners have that much conflict with each other because you don't really have time for that here there's a little bit between kino and and melshi and some of the others like are kind of tense but we haven't had any of the traditional like prison tropes being used uh because this is not the place for that you are sleeping or eating or being worked to death by the empire so i did like that solidarity between them i also thought it was neat that the medic they bring in was also a prisoner that I wasn't as surprised about because it kind of makes it like like you said like show how much the Empire truly actually cares about these people like they're very disposable so it's very much like oh well we don't need to have you know real doctors on staff because we can just get one or two of these prisoners who kind of maybe has a medical degree or something or maybe has been a medic in the past or something and been like oh that's good enough for us slap some blues on them tell them they don't have to work right and boom you've got a medic but this guy has clearly like seen a fuckload of prisoners die like a lot of them because he's just like i don't want to know what this dude's name is don't tell me because i'm almost certainly gonna have to just like put him down if he can't work anymore we're just gonna have to put him down like like a workhorse that can't work speaking of the medic bradley do you have some information on who is playing the medic sure do uh adrian rollins is his name uh thing that i saw that i would know him best for was that he plays james potter in the harry potter movies and fuck jk Uh, rowling and that would be harry potter's dad for anybody yes he's harry potter's dad in a couple of the the harry potter movies fuck jk rowling but he's also in gentleman jack which is an extremely excellent tv show he was in chernobyl uh which again shares a production designer and a casting director and several actors with this show and of course he's been in doctor who he was in the planet of the ood episode and i actually think i remember what i vaguely remember this episode i think I think I remember who he plays, but he plays Dr. Ryder. I think he's one of the people who are experimenting on the ood. I would have to go back and rewatch the episode. And on this episode of Doctor Who Gaze, anyway, <laughs> but, moving on. Babe, that's just Tumblr. It's just Tumblr. <laughs> Doctor Who Gaze is just Tumblr circa 2015. I have a note, seriously, Andy Serkis's acting is just about the only thing I could focus on in the scene. Yeah. Because the journey of, of Kino Loy realizing what's going on and like making the choice to ask about what happened on level two. And then we find out that somebody who who is presumably supposed to be taken off the planet and reassigned to a different prison was uh, accidentally put back in the same prison. Like a guy from four turned up on two. And so they just wiped all of two out. And Kino Loy realizing this and that fucking final line. So good. Well, no, because it's a, it's essentially a callback because he's like, he kept asking him all the time. How like, many hey, guards on each level? How many guards on each level? It's like something you have information on how we could theoretically stage a prison break. 
what some impertinent information we need to know about. And that's one of those informations that we need to know is like how many guards are each level. And the characters change from no, stay in line, be just a good prisoner and nothing bad will happen to you. And that's how you'll get out to, oh, fuck, they're not letting us out, even if we're done. Like, it doesn't matter if our prison sentence is over. They're not letting us out. The problem with that is now Kino Loy has nothing left to lose. Nothing left to lose. Exactly. And that's what's going to make him all in on this prison escape. Yep, it is. It is time for the prison escape episode. And I think part of the reason that that line hits as hard as it does, too, is Circus is acting like this this episode belongs to Andy Circus and the way he is taking Kino Loy on this journey from the beginning of this episode to the end of this episode and where he's at and he's done it mainly through inflection and just sheer acting chops incredible absolutely breathtakingly good like they did not just cast him because he was snow and was like oh it'd be fun to get this guy no they cast him for a reason and the reason is this part I can, I which can is not see. Snoke. <laughs> I was just about to say, I, I can see uh, now comicbook.com taking your quote and being like, oh, see, an official Star Wars podcast said that it was Snoke in this prison. And so, official Star Wars. There podcast. you go. You know that that's the shit they kind of do. So, Bradley, I was talking about sucking two dozen cocks earlier. <laughs> I promise you, we are not now, nor will we ever be an official Star Wars podcast. Also, the same, that line is exactly why we'll never be on the stage celebration <laughs> podcast because we say things like that on this show. That is true. That is true. Uh, we're also, we're, we're not that kind of show. We're, uh, we're not no, really an audience participation on. show. Yeah, also because we uh, may or may not make certain mistakes that we edit out. In yes, that, that's no the other thing. About. <laughs> we may or may not have to detour for multiple minutes at a time on things that get cut out of the final version because we are definitely professional podcasters. Uh, These are not edited. Uh, Nothing ever gets cut out. Every perfect, like, clip that you listen to is 100% what we sounded like recording the episode. Bradley, what are your final thoughts on the episode this week? Um, So I really, really, really liked this episode. I thought it was a lot of tension. Um, Andy Serkis was great. Uh, I'm not feeling too confident that he will survive next week during the prison break but you know what maybe andor will surprise me and not be super depressing all the time Who knows? <laughs> that's um, so adorable that you we'll, think that we'll see we'll see what about you what are your final thoughts um this episode was really uncomfortable to watch uh, a lot like the last one um came away from it you know not feeling particularly great but really appreciating the craft that they put into it um i will you know, as had as what happened with Aldani, I will probably feel a lot better once I'm able to go back and look at it in the hindsight of knowing where this is going, because it is very much a, a serial show. Uh, but overall, you know, I was I was very happy with the episode. There were things in there specifically for us, uh, the gays, which was delightful to me to be able to talk about. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm continuing to love Andor. I can't believe we only have uh, three episodes left. Three, three, Bradley. Three, he's holding sorry. up like he's he's got his fingers up and he's going from like two to three to two to three to two. <laughs> it's one more episode of the prison, and then that's the right. Part finale. That's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Of 
yeah, of course I'm right. If there's one moral lesson of this podcast, it's that I'm right. And we definitely don't have a section at the beginning of almost every episode called The Thing Charles Fucked Up. That's it for God's Gotion Gays this week. Before Bradley runs the socials, just as a additional piece of promotion, if you are not listening to For Light and Dice, the High Republic era TTRPG that I am on, DM'd by Chris from Dark Side Divas, with uh, Hope from J Guys and Jedi, Jess from Rupalp's Pod Race, and our friends Colton and Nathan, you should absolutely be listening to that. I did listen to all the released episodes this week. Uh, Chris is in fact recording and putting in scenes that were not in the game. So it really is starting to coalesce and sounds a lot like an audio drama, which is really awesome. So I would encourage people to check that out. Also follow the uh, Light and Dice socials, particularly the uh, Light and Dice Twitter account. We are commissioning, everybody's commissioning art for their characters. Jess just posted the art for their character of Lysander on the official uh, Light and Dice account. So definitely check out that thing that I am on if you want to hear me play a very grouchy uh, annoyed Duros character which is a lot of fun. Alright Bradley well we have three more weeks of this and then we get a break right? That definitely was what we decided in the scheduling meeting ahead of time. Yeah uh, a break of the same week another show will air uh, after our recap. We, we definitely will not be spending the time between Andor and uh, the Bad Batch doing potentially multiple episodes a week to cover certain other things that came out yeah we'll see what they get for christmas this year or for life day this year what i what i'm what i'm getting is trauma please run the socials thank you for listening to gold squadron gaze did charles fuck something up send us a message at gold squadron gaze at gmail.com follow us on twitter at gold squad gaze follow us on instagram and tiktok at gold squadron gaze Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. Can you imagine if we were fucking live? Okay. Jesus Christ, that would have been a disaster. <laughs> like, oh my God, imagine if we were pink milk. Ugh, oh God. my God. You oh no. Suck. No, no, no. We fuck up way too much to be way pink too milk. much. We Thank have God to maintain for... an air of respectability here. Right. We're professionals. We're professional podcasters. <laughs>